Uh, how's everyone doing? Welcome to Supernatural Saturday for January. It is January 13th. We are live on Telegram. Uh, I do a live uh, live broadcast on the second Saturday of every month, except the months when I have severe back pain. Uh, here on Telegram, 1 p.m. Eastern, and I post the replays in the main Telegram channel, on Rumble, on both of my websites, pragmatic.com and pragmatic.org. Uh, welcome to the live stream. Uh, today, we're going to be doing an Ask Me Anything uh, question and answer. You've got questions. I may or may not have answers. Uh, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do my best to answer questions. But there are um, a lot of questions I don't actually have an answer to. Someone asked a question this morning in the chat about spiritual bypassing, uh, a term I'd never heard before. So I said, well, I don't know. <laughs> I've never heard of it, so I can't really comment on it. Uh, all right. Uh, I'm not going to delay this too much um, other than to say uh, in the last month, we have published two new books. So Emergency Preparedness. And Off-Grid Communication is my latest book. We published that, uh, I think, around December 14th or 15th. It's been out for a while. Um, it's getting some good reviews. People really appreciate it. It is a comprehensive look at traditional issues having to do with emergency preparedness. So storing food, storing water, uh, you know, considerations, you know, what to do to prepare for power outages. And then the second half of the book has a lot of information on off-grid communication. So it's one thing if we lose power or if we you know, enter a, a time of hyperinflation where food is expensive. It's another thing altogether if we lose internet and lose cell phone service. So the second half of the book uh, covers all kinds of different ways we can communicate with each other with um, in modes that do not require internet and cell phone. So various forms of radio communication, mostly, uh, and a few other ideas. And uh, if you haven't checked out the book, and if you're looking for some ideas about preparedness, that book is out there also in December. Yes, Emotional Healing Made Simple. This is the full-length book on emotional healing. Um, in addition to the basic um, approach to emotional healing. This book covers uh, advanced, what I would call advanced emotional healing, uh, particularly dealing with uh, things like um, survivors of satanic ritual abuse and trauma-based mind control. Uh, for people who have been diagnosed with dissociative identity disorder, formerly called multiple personality disorder, um, this book covers in-depth the issues related to emotional healing and deliverance. So, because out there, we're getting a lot of good testimonies from it already. Uh, we've, we've had some very amazing testimonies actually during the last week. I'm posting them in the uh, in the chat, uh, and some people are just getting rocked, uh, finding altars and fragments, you know, parts of their soul that were wounded that they didn't even know about, and and getting healed. And Jesus is doing great stuff. So. In that, I rejoice and I hope you rejoice with me. And without further ado, 
Uh, we are going to take some questions. So here's the deal. If you have a question you'd like to ask, go on the little mobile app, hit the little button that says raise hand. And when I see your hand is raised, I'll call on you. You can ask me your question and I'll try to give you an answer. This is not a forum for prayer requests. So if you have a prayer request, just put it in the chat on the Telegram channel and you'll have a dozen people praying for you. Uh, this is not a forum for expressing your your mental illness, your thing that's, you know, getting grating on your nerves. If you have something that's really frustrating you and it's aggravating and you feel like you need to rant about it, uh, this is not the forum for that. Uh, you know, you can talk to your dog about that, talk to your family, um, but this is not the place for for venting frustration. This is a forum where if you have a question about anything, whether it's spiritual, political, whatever, um, ask it and I'll see if I can answer it. All right. Let's see. Uh, we do not have a lot of hands right now. We've got actually only two people with their hands up. So we're going to go to, oh, it looks like three. All right. GY. GY. If you can unmute yourself, what is going on? Hit the little uh, speaker unmute yourself button on the app. Am I unmuted? You are unmuted. I can hear you. Um, would you please address the situation with the earthquakes happening in Oklahoma, which is not normal for that many, and the reports of what people are hearing is not earthquake noise in some instances. And there's a lot of discussion by a wonderful fellow named Dutch Sense, who a lot of us follow and have for years. And he's been cut off from the media because he was being too close in what he was doing on predictions. Okay. Uh, sure. I'll take a swing at that. So that is a really good question. Uh, the earthquakes in Oklahoma. Right. So there's a couple of possibilities. It could just be earthquakes. Um, and uh, that's, you know, some people would take the view that, you know, it's, it's earthquakes. Other people would take the view that now there's something going on. Uh, maybe it's use of the HARP, uh, High Altitude Oral Research Project, um, which is believed to be able to control weather, cause earthquakes, and all kinds of other things. Um, I don't, I, I'm, I'm getting more information about HARP. And I was pretty skeptical about some of the theories concerning HARP for a long time. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. However, during the Q operation, I became a coincidence analyst. And I am now looking at the world with a different set of eyes. Uh, I don't believe the mainstream narrative and, and easy explanations as much as I used to. So the the problem is we don't have evidence. We don't have solid verifiable evidence for a lot of these theories. Like how do you prove that the earthquakes in Oklahoma are caused by something other than just earthquakes? It's really hard to do. Um, I think there's reasons to believe that things are being manipulated uh, by the deep state, weather and, and earthquakes and things. But it's it's a suspicion, it's a theory. It's, it's hard to say that 
that it is absolutely happening, you know, without question. There are a lot of questions out there. Um, and and I, I guess I would expand that whole idea to speculation that the weather is being manipulated by the deep state through technologies like HARP. Uh, you know, is it just a coincidence that Iowa is experiencing a record <laughs> setting cold temperatures? I think the high today is going to be minus five, I think, or either today or tomorrow. The low is like minus 17. Pretty darn cold. I mean, yeah, it's winter. It's January. You know, I lived in the Midwest. I know how cold it gets. Is it a coincidence that these this cold weather is happening the week of the Iowa caucus? Hard to say. Uh, some people would say that the weather is being manipulated to influence the outcome of the election, and some people would say, "No, it's just a, it's just a nice cold weather uh, winter." I don't know. So there are arguments on both sides, and I think it's worth considering the arguments on both sides, and whatever. Uh, whatever cause seems right to you, uh, go with that. All right. Uh, Dr. Robert Cyprian. Dr. Robert Cyprian, if you can unmute yourself, uh, what is on your mind, sir? Hey, Dave. Thank you very much. So, um, yes, yeah, so much information with prayer using power and authority for healing, for emotional well-being, even for weather, things like that in life. But I don't ever see too much being done for like um, financial health in life, um, money well-being, things like that. So what's your whole take on that just within our, our world? Oh gosh, that is a really good question. Uh, you know, it's funny that I haven't really taught on this issue a lot. Um, I, I do have some experience with the subject. Uh, God has blessed us financially in a number of ways over the years. I have shared some testimonies in some of the books that I've written uh, in My Craziest Adventures with God. I think it's volume one. I share a story about how God blessed us financially when we bought our first house and it was, it's a crazy story about how we were on the verge of not qualifying for this home loan. And God just pulled off one miracle after another, after another, after another, how he got us the money to put down the down payment was miraculous. Um, there, there are spiritual principles involved uh, in wealth management and finances. Um, like, like I said, unfortunately, I haven't had time to really talk about it a whole lot. Maybe I'll write a book on that subject. <laughs> Maybe you may have given me an idea for another book. Uh, not that I'm running out of ideas, but, uh, you know, there is, um, there are, there are blessings that are tied to, uh, stewardship. So when God, um, gives us responsibilities, gives us uh, a destiny. If we steward our destiny correctly, if we follow God's plan for our life, if we connect with the people he wants to connect us with, if we go through the doors he opens, if we take the opportunities that he has provided for us, and if we steward those opportunities, 
and steward the resources he gives us, whether those resources are material or uh, personnel or favor with others. <clears throat> when we are good stewards of what God has given us, it usually leads to financial blessing. And not just financial blessing, but blessing in other areas. So um, God has given me a platform for teaching about his kingdom, for teaching, you know, healing, physical healing, emotional healing, um, a lot of other different subjects, uh, teaching about preparedness. Um, and I, I have found that as God has given me instruction, given me insights and strategies and tactics about <clears throat> how to run this operation, <laughs> he has increased my exposure to various audiences. He has increased my exposure on social media. He has increased readership of the books. He's increased viewership on my YouTube channel until the YouTube channel was gone. And then he gave me a strategy about where to go to after YouTube canceled me. So, um, you know, I know that there are a lot of people uh, who are Christians who have been taught that uh, prosperity is not of God. There's actually a thing that God has taught me about, a principle. It's actually a spirit. It's called it's called a poverty mindset. It's poverty spirit. And the poverty spirit induces in people a poverty mindset where the teaching there is that God is not concerned about finances or wealth or prosperity. He is only concerned about us being humble and broke and destitute and going out and preaching the gospel every day. That's, that's all he cares about, according to some teaching. And the poverty spirit uh, is sort of a, um, it's, it's a spirit that, that controls people. And it leads people into financial uh, ruin. And what it does is it makes people okay with being financially destitute. Uh, and they just believe that, um, that we're going to have to suffer for God and <laughs> that financial wealth has no purpose in life. Um, and, you know, the reality is I could not do a fraction of what I've done um, if it had not been for the financial support that people have given Denise and I. Um, you know, we're not rich, but uh, I, I've been able to quit my job as a paramedic and 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 write and produce articles and produce videos and, and, and live streams for people and, and share my insights and the dreams and everything because people have blessed us financially. If people were not blessing us financially with donations, we would not be able to do this. I'd be working on an ambulance uh, in a job that I uh, really don't like. And so there, I believe that there is um, financial blessing in when you follow God's plan for your life. When you follow, when you identify what is your destiny, what has God called you to, what are you, these are gifting, your calling, your identity, your divine identity. You have to know those things. It, and it takes time. Look, I'm, I'm over 60 years old and I didn't really get a hold of my destiny until I was in my 50s. But once you apprehend 
what your true identity is in Christ, what your destiny is, what God has created you to do. I thought God created me to be a paramedic. I thought that's what he wanted me to do with the rest of my life. And through the convincing of my wife, um, I was I was convinced that actually I was supposed to be a writer. <laughs> I'd learned late in life. And once I apprehended that destiny that God wanted me to be a writer, holy cats, my life has changed. I am a much happier person. I enjoy life uh, 100 times more than I did nine years ago when I was working on the ambulance. Love what I'm doing. I'm reaching people for God. I'm blessing people by being able to teach them about healing, about deliverance. Uh, it, everyone is, is better off in this whole picture uh, because I'm doing what God asked me to do. So kind of a long answer, but, um, you know, it really comes down to understanding what God wants you to do and being obedient to that. Obedience brings blessing. Um, that's kind of the bottom line. So thank you, doctor, for your question. It's a very good question. Uh, and like I said, I'll have to pray about maybe writing a book on that subject. Linda, uh, Linda, nope, hang on. Linda doesn't have her hand up. Who has her hand up? <laughs> Does nobody have their hand up? Holy cats. Uh, all right. I'm scrolling down to the bottom of the list. And no one has their hand up. <laughs> Shortest live stream ever. Oh, wait. All right. Linda does have her hand up. Linda, if you can unmute yourself, what's on your mind? Linda, can you unmute yourself? Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Oh, great. Thank you. Um, hi, I, I was, I had um, a two part question. One, um, I say my prayers every night and I was wondering if there's any, um, appropriate or special way that a person should be saying their prayers. And two, um, I was reading, just listening to some of your other podcasts, and you had made conversations about um, if somebody felt like there was a demonic infestation. And I was wondering if somebody thought that, how do they go about trying to solve that problem? So the demonic infestation, are you asking uh, if a person believes that they're being afflicted by an evil spirit, how do you get rid of it? Yes. Okay. Uh, good questions. So, uh, your prayers at night. I, I recommend always, um, as a policy, to pray as you are led by the Holy Spirit. People ask me all the time, how do I pray for the healing of this condition? How do I pray for my finances? How do I pray for um, this legal issue that I'm going through in court? And what, what people are looking for is A, B, C, D, you know, some bullet points, like pray this and say these words and say this and then everything will be okay. Um, that's not actually how it works. I don't have a script I can give people for prayer, except there is a script that works really well for emotional healing. 
And emotional healing is a completely different realm from everything else that we do that is related to prayer. Emotional healing is a world unto itself. Emotional healing is not an issue of power or authority. It is completely about Jesus taking the emotional trauma from us, healing the wounds in our soul. And that is a personal relationship issue where you literally ask Jesus to uh, take the emotions, the painful emotions from you and heal the wounds. That's it. It's a script. You remember the uh, event that is causing you to have a negative emotion, number one. Number two, you ask Jesus to take the emotions from you and heal the wound in your soul. And that's it. So that's that's really the only type of prayer that I have a script for. Everything else I, I recommend, pray as you are led by the Holy Spirit. So your nighttime prayer. Uh, what are the issues that God is putting on your heart? Is he, is he putting on your heart, um, you know, the potential for war around the world? If he's, if he is stirring up in you a concern about the growing possibility of like, you know, World War III, you should be praying into that issue. And whether that is uh, petition, intercession, making declarations, that's up to you. The Holy Spirit should lead you in how you're going to pray into that issue, whatever the issue is, if it's your finances. Again, does the Holy Spirit want you to make declarations about your finances? Or does he want you to come to the throne of God or maybe go to the court of heaven <laughs> and deal with some issues that need to be dealt with? It, you know, there's accusations against you, right? All of those things. Um, should be led by the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit lead you into those, into how to pray about those issues. Now, the second part of your question is um, demons. Well, uh, the simple answer is Jesus has given us authority over all the power of the enemy. We have authority over all the power of the enemy. So we can command evil spirits. We can command demons to leave, and we should. And a lot of people who go through the emotional healing process forget it's actually a two-part process. First, you do the emotional healing, and then you command evil spirits to leave. Evil spirits will afflict you, uh, not always, but often through emotional trauma. Get the emotional trauma healed. Sometimes the demons will leave on their own. Sometimes they won't. If they don't, if you're neck pain, if the, the migraine headaches, if whatever the affliction is, if it's still there, you need to get command those demons to leave. And it's just that simple. Evil spirit, I command you to leave in the name of Jesus and keep commanding that thing to leave until it's gone. Whether it's you for you or for someone else, same process. Just command the evil spirits to uh, go to hell. Get out. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, Charles, the other one, Charles, the other one, you had your hand up. Therefore, I'm going to call on you, sir, to unmute yourself. Okay. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay. Um, this, this is going to be kind of, kind of odd. Uh, I apologize. Um, I like uh, I odd questions. <laughs> well, it, it's good. It's, it's about really, um, relationship and praying for, um, for, for praying for a wife. 
Um, okay. Or I guess it could be applied to you know, praying for a husband if you're a woman. Um, okay. um, my issue is that um, my last relationship was like over 25 years ago, and I'd pretty much given up hope on uh, of finding someone. Um, the Now I have a friend who she and I are very compatible in a lot of ways, but A, she's not a Christian, and B, she just doesn't trip my trigger if you, you know if you follow my reasoning. Okay. Um, how do you, uh, in, in a situation like this, um, I, I, I don't believe in missionary dating as, as it were. And okay. so it's like, you know, how, how do you, when you feel like God has closed a door and you're, you've, you've settled that your life is going to be one of a singleness, like the apostle Paul. Um, and then an experience like this happens where you're, you you've given, you're given a possibility, but it's not what you want. How do you, how do you pray for pray for something like that? How, how do you ask for God's wisdom in dealing with something like that? Okay, fair question. Uh, all right, so um, you answered the question in your last uh, sentence. How do I ask for God <laughs> to give me wisdom? in dealing with something like that. That's exactly what you do. You ask for God to give you wisdom on how to deal with that. Um, I'll give you an example. M my wife, Denise, uh, I'm her third husband and she is my second wife. We've, we've both been previously divorced. She was single for six years and she had pretty much given up. She had been on the single dating sites and she kept meeting the same posers and the same phonies and uh, could not find anyone that she felt she was a lifelong you know, partner uh, type material. So she kind of just said, Lord, I guess it's just you and me. I I'm going to give up looking. And then I showed up. <laughs> and, um, I found her. I found her on a Christian dating site. Uh, I read her profile. Everything about her was green light, green light, green light. We listened to the same pastors. We went to the same church. We had all the same beliefs, same political views, same everything. We were just right down the line, 100% compatible. And she used to be a singer. She actually uh, sang in a couple of cover bands when she was younger. And I, I thought it'd be cool to you know, be married to someone who likes to sing. And she's an artist, um, very talented painter. So I just, once I found her, I was like, okay, Lord, well, you know, what's your plan? He said, just commit yourself to her and I'll make it work out. Just commit yourself to that relationship and I'll make it work out. Now, your situation is different. My situation um, was, I was recently divorced uh, and Denise had been divorced for a long time. Just happened that, um, and, and all right, here's the other part of the, of the equation. Um, I had made a lot of mistakes in my first marriage and Denise had made a lot of mistakes in her previous marriages too. We were both committed at that time to learning the necessary lessons from our mistakes. We asked God to help us change ourselves, change our view of marriage, change our view toward our spouse to upgrade our understanding of what marriage is all about. We 
listen to um, the messages. It's ten, 10 part series of messages called Marriage on the Rock by, what is his name? Uh, I can't think of his name right now. I'll think of it in a minute. And uh, we went through a lot of other resources. Um, we read you know, Townsend and Cloud, their boundaries books. I had come out of a relationship that was pretty much a lot of codependency, a lot of unhealthy behaviors. We read a book uh, together called Saving Your Second Marriage Before It Starts. Great book. We read a, an awesome book called His Needs, Her Needs by Willard Harley. His Needs, Her Needs by Willard Harley is the best book on marriage that I've ever read. It That book has saved my brother's marriage. He was on the verge of divorce. And he got into that, his wife actually, I recommended the book to his wife because she was frantic, they were splitting up. And it, that book saved their marriage. All of that is to say, um, what Denise and I did was we decided to become the right spouse. Uh, because what people do is they ask, Lord, I want you to bring me the right spouse. I want you to bring me the right woman, bring me the right man. And we never really think about whether we are the right man ourselves or the right woman. And what Denise and I both have found out is if you will work on your issues, if you'll work on your attitude, work on your behavior, work on repairing and shoring up the, the rotten foundations that you've got regarding relationships, if you will start rebuilding and allowing God to reform your thinking about marriage, he will bring you the right person. But really, it comes down to an issue of you making yourself the right person first. Because Denise and I would not have been compatible if we had met 25 years ago. We wouldn't have been compatible. She was in a different place in her life. I was in a different place in my life. And once we had both begun the process of learning and growing and understanding what it takes to, to make a good relationship as a husband and wife, then God put us together. <laughs> and it has, been, it has been a great marriage ever since then. So long, long answer, but but the answer to your question is, it sounds like this woman is not the person that God wants you to connect with. I would, you know, if you want to remain friends, remain friends. I would not pursue that relationship as a romance. Uh, I do not think it's a good idea to be unequally yoked to a non-believer. Uh, my first wife was not a Christian. And one of the big reasons why we ended up splitting up was I got saved and got born again, and she didn't. And it caused a lot of problems in our marriage. Um, so I would not recommend pursuing that relationship. I would work on making yourself a better husband and ask God to, to help you in the process. And when you're there, when you're ready, hopefully the right woman will appear. All right. That's all I got to say about that. Rick. Rick has his hand up. Rick, welcome to the podcast. What's on your mind, sir? Hello. Good day, mate. Can I can oh, hear okay, you fine. Uh, I decided to chime in because you didn't have any takers. And so uh, have you read or heard 
of Andrew Whalen's recently published book, Dreams to Save a Nation. <laughs> well, why would you ask a question about that book, Rick? Well, I was watching Elijah Streams on December 28th with Johnny Enloe and and Andrew Whalen. Actually, it might have just been with Andrew Whalen. No, I think it was both of them. At any rate, it was both of them because that, because yeah. Andrew was new to the program, and Johnny was kind of introducing him to the audience. Yeah, so I, I yeah. purchased the book on December twenty eighth. I'm going through it uh, as recommended. I'm on day thirteen because today is the thirteenth. Oh, wait a minute! I'm, wait a minute! This is this is a December twenty eighth broadcast on Elijah Streams. Yes. Okay, I thought you were talking about one of Andrew's first uh, shows, which would have been back in, back in the summer. Uh, my mistake. I'm sorry. But go ahead. So you're on day 13. On day 11, he talks about Q and Praying Medic, that dream. Okay. And on day 12, he talks about Everything Will Shut Down, that dream, which he says is the White Hats doing it. Uh, okay. I wanted to know if you heard of it, uh, and uh, perhaps you might be interested in checking it out because he is covering some of the same things that you have been talking about. Yes. Yeah, so someone actually tagged me in a screenshot of uh, day 11, where Andrew talks about the dream where he was prophesying about me and Q. <laughs> I was like, oh gosh, the book is out. I better get it. So I, I know about the book. Andrew and I have communicated about it. Um, I need to get a copy of that book and look at the, is it day 12, the shutdown? Yes. Which says is going to be a white hat operation. Yeah, I need to yeah. take a look at that. I, I don't have the book yet, but I'm gonna, I'll get it today and start looking at it. And today's day 13 deals with uh, the idea that Biden and company are wearing masks and they're uh, actually the good guys playing actors. So a lot Oh yeah, of, I remember that dream. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of stuff that is quite controversial that some people say yes that's happening others say no way there's not that's not happening at all. I guess he's had a dream had dreams about lots of these things independently of any of these other yep reports. He his dreams are fascinating. Uh I, I love listening to him share. Sure. <laughs> I could just listen to him talk about his dreams for hour after hour. It's is he just gets great dreams where God reveals amazing things. So uh, thanks for the reminder. I'll I'll have to pick that book up today. Great. All right, sir. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, let's see. Lucy. Lucy, you have your hand up. If you can rate, if you can unmute yourself, uh, do you have a question? Yes. Hi. Thank you for everything you all do for everybody. I appreciate it. Um, I certainly understand your paramedic role. I had a lifetime in physical therapy until it just became unethical to work in it anymore. Um, I walked away. I had that one night of Jesus, take this, take this burden from me and show me the way. And I must say, since that moment. My life has just become more enriched in every way. Um, wow, good for you. Yeah, my question is, um, does God care about 
when we die, whether we're buried, whether we're cremated. COVID really put a kibosh on all the funerals and our, our way of saying goodbye to our loved ones. Do you, I'd like to know your opinion on what we can what we can do to help at that time of transition. And is there a, is there a difference between being cremated or being buried? Well, can I ask you a question? Go for it. What's your what are your thoughts on that issue? I think it's all related to intention. So the intention is take care of your loved ones when they pass. Um, if it's a matter of, of what they desire, that's what I would like to do for them. As for myself, I'm leaning towards cremation as it's just simpler and cheaper, and I think I'm gone by then. Yep. I, I, I agree with you. Uh, cool. I, yeah, I, I don't think there's any um, – I don't think there's any eternal relevance to the way that our body is disposed of after we die. We're not there anymore. We're not in the body. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So, you know, when the physical body dies, our spirit goes to heaven. We're with God. Uh, we have a bunch of carbon and hydrogen and oxygen, uh, manganese, you know, a bunch of atoms that are, you know, various molecules and elements and it'll, the body will just will decompose, regardless of whether it, you know, it's burned or it's buried. I, I don't think it matters. Um, so just my thoughts. <laughs> uh, interesting question. Thank you. Lanny, Kim and Hour. Lanny, your hand is up. And that hopefully means you have a question. What's going on? Lanny, can you hit the unmute button? Come on, Lanny, you can do it. Okay, can you hear me? I can hear you. Great. Uh, I just wanted to ask your thoughts on this whole Nasara Jasara economic reset. Okay. Uh, I think Nasara and Jasara are hopium that people should run away from as fast as they can. <clears throat> There's no, I know that people have dug back and found that there was a, uh, a bill proposed in Congress years ago that had to do with this. Um, but if you look into it seriously with an objective viewpoint and do some research, you'll find that there really isn't any actual basis to believe that uh, we're all going to be the people who get on board with Nasara or Jasara are going to be, you know, financially reimbursed and, and made. To me, the whole thing is a get rich quick scheme. It takes advantage of people who believe that if they do a certain thing, they're going to be financially blessed. And uh, I advise people to just steer clear of it. Um, it's it's. I don't think there's anything to it. All right. There you go. Kathy Stern has her hand up. Kathy, what is on your mind?
Kathy Stern, can you unmute yourself? There we go. There you go. Hello. So, hi, hi. my husband and I are listening, and we're wondering, and I hope, I apologize if you've already covered this another time. We're wondering what you can tell us about state nationals. We've been approached by acquaintances telling us all about state national status and told that there are now at the, like in Chicago, for example, where you have to go get your passports, you can, there's a whole new separate line because of all the volume of people applying for state national instead of regular passports. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's an interesting question. So there is a growing uh, popularity in the idea of, I guess it's called uh, being a sovereign um, a sovereign citizen, state nationals. I, th- I think, if, if I'm not mistaken, these ideas are, are similar. And the, the basic premise is that uh, you can either live as a sovereign, independent person who is not under the thumb of the government, or you can live as a slave of the government. And I think some of the theory uh, basically says that once they give you a social security number, it's your uh, state identity number, and it is the state's right to own you and control you and you're their property. And when you go into court, if you go into traditional courts and use traditional uh, state laws and, and, and legislative um, doctrine as, your, as a basis for your cases, you're at the mercy of the state, and they pretty much have the ability to control you and the outcome of the case. Whereas if you argue from common law, you have, you're entitled to, and you're arguing from a better set of rights, right? So that, that's kind of the whole issue that as far as I understand it, um, I'll say this, the Lord has not given me any revelation or any reason to believe that this needs to be a thing for me. Uh, I know a bunch of people who just think this is the be-all and the end-all, and you have to do it, and you have to assert your sovereignty and all that. Um, I get it. I've, I've heard the arguments. Um, but like I said, it's not something that God has directed me to get involved in, so I'm aware of it, but I'm not participating. If at some point the Lord puts it on my radar, I'll review it and you know maybe change my perspective, but... Right now, it's not something that I think is, is is terribly relevant for me. All right, there you go. Uh, Deborah, Deborah Cockrell, uh, if you can unmute yourself, how can I help you? Deborah Cockrell. There you go. You. Yeah, my question has to do with uh, the healing, emotional healing, and it's kind of a conglomeration of ideas that I've been pondering for several years and and having dealt with a lot of different deliverance and healing. And I like your approach. I've used it and I found it works. It has worked for me. It's simple and it's worked for other people. So I thank you for uh, following your calling and fulfilling it and making stuff available to us. But my question is that people who um, have been diagnosed with ADD, ADHD, or 
um, high functioning autism or neurodivergent stuff and the science that's out there and the spirituality that's out there um, address those things somewhat differently, naturally. Uh, yep. But people who are, I guess if the question synthesized to a point would be if we get fully healed, uh, an individual gets fully healed, fully delivered and uh, remains clean, are we going to be homogenous or are we all still going to be um, expressing differently? And I have an opinion, but I would like your thoughts. I, I'm going to keep you on uh, unmuted because I want to have a discussion with you about this. Okay. Okay. So my wife was recently diagnosed with uh, ADD. She's suspected for a long time that she's had it because she's kind of the classic. Um, she's, she describes herself as being kind of scatterbrained. Um, she, her mind just races and she goes from one thought to the next thought to the next thought to the next thought. And she has a, a, di a difficult time focusing on a particular subject for a long period of time, unless it's a project that she has to take care of. Like right now for December and January, she's very focused on mailing out receipts to all of our donors. And that <laughs> occupies a tremendous amount of her time at the end of the year and in January. And she's focused on it day after day after day. She comes in and she does that stuff. But, but while she is on her computer working her spreadsheet magic, she has uh, Twitter spaces going all day long where she's listening to what people are saying about the news. And she's got little windows open on her, on her computer where she's seeing what's happening on social media, other things. Well, she will focus on one thing. Her mind is looking at other things. And so, like I get back to this issue, she is, um, she's easily distracted. And, and that is distinctly different from my personality, which is I am very, very laser focused on subjects. When I uh, take, when I get something in my mind that I need to work on, whether it's a book or an article or, you know, something to do with radio or whatever it is, um, I just focus on that. I, I'm very much single-minded uh, and focus on those issues. And I tend to block out peripheral issues. My wife is different. She sees all these things in the periphery. She's thinking about her painting. She's thinking about her website. She's thinking about all these other things. And here's, um, she's listened to a lot of discussion, very, very good, um, well-informed people. Andrew Huberman is, I don't know if you're familiar with the Huberman podcast, but Huberman teaches uh, neurology, I think at Stanford University. He's a great podcaster, brilliant guy, knows more about neuroscience than any doctors, any 10 doctors I can think of. And he, um, he has some very interesting uh, ideas on and treatments for issues like ADD, ADHD. Um, Denise has tried several different medications recently. And you know what? She came down to the, the fact that she kind of likes the way she is right now. Like, yes, it's kind of a pain that she'll walk into a room because she was going to get something and she forgets what she was going to do in the room. She's like, I like 10 seconds ago, I knew what I wanted and I walk in the room and I can't remember what it was. It's just gone. It's it. Um, for her, the ADD issue 
does create some, a few inconveniences. However, it gives her great ability to multitask and, and she's actually adapted to it. She's adjusted to the, the, the kind of the random ping pong balls, you know, flying around her brain. Um, she, it works for her. She, she makes it work really well. And she has decided she doesn't really need to be healed of ADD. Now, there are other people who, who have, especially people who have the hyperactive, ADHD, hyperactive. Denise isn't hyperactive. Um, she's just, um, she has an attention deficit, I guess. And, and it's, it's historically been sort of looked at as a, as a, as a deficit, as, um, as a liability, as some kind of thing that needs to be fixed with medication. And actually medications help some people, but she treats it as a, as a gift. Now there are other people who, for them, it really is a liability. It, it interferes with their lifestyle. They, you know, they can't focus, they're hyperactive, they're, they're wired, you know, <laughs> all the time. And they, they have, it interrupts their sleep, they have insomnia, and, and those people um, are the ones who tend to do better with medication. And those are the people who tend to seek healing. And I will say this, going back, let's go to autism. So all of the different neurological uh, conditions out there, whether it's autism, whether it's uh, ADHD or, or any other uh, condition like that, it's, it's my belief that they can be healed. I have seen testimonies, many testimonies of people who have been healed of things like autism. Uh, there's severe autism and then, you know, there's people who more like Asperger's. Um, and, and, and the issue with something like Asperger's is, well, is it going to change my personality? If I get healed, is it going to change who I am? Is it going to change how I interact with people? Is it, and some people are very comfortable with who they are, even though maybe they're, you know, high functioning autism or on Asperger's, they're concerned that, will I lose my personality? Will I become a different person? Do I really want to become a different person? And I believe that, uh, look, if, if you have found a way to adapt to your neurological difference, you know, whether whatever condition is, and life is working okay for you, and you don't really feel like you need to be healed, then you don't need to be healed. But there are a lot of people who recognize it and they identify it as a disability and they want to be healed of it. And, and I think that they can be healed, although it's not necessarily something that you, you have to be healed if you don't want to. And no, I don't think we're all going to be, you know, um, all like, <clears throat> like clones of each other if we're all healed. Um, the, the thing about healing a neurological disorder is it, it doesn't make you like everyone else. I mean, neurological disorders do kind of make us a little bit quirky, but what I found people who have been healed is they don't lose their quirkiness. They just lose their, you know, some people are kind of socially awkward. They're, they're unusually introverted. They're unusually socially un, uh, uncomfortable. And what happens when they get healed is, they lose a lot of that discomfort. They lose, they have more confidence. Um, they're not as self-conscious self or worried about interacting with people in inappropriate ways. So long explanation, but I'd like to hear your thoughts on it.
Uh, well, thank you for your comments because um, I'm in my 60s and what you're saying is um, resonating with my heart because <clears throat> I do believe that there are issues that, uh, you know, um, can are, are, you use the word disability and can be healed so that it's not a disability anymore. And there are conditions that impair uh, the life that I think God intended for individuals. But I don't think that we are supposed to be homogenous clones. Um, I agree. <laughs> and I think that we that, that would be a horrible world and not what God intended. But a lot of the world, uh, I like to use the bell curve as an example of uh, explaining a lot of things in my life because I didn't know that I was, and I prefer the term divergent, neural divergent, until yeah. I was in my 50s. I'm an educator. I was raised by an educator, my grandmother, who was 70 when I was born. Um, my mom was there. She worked, you know, but, but my grandmother was the one that trained me. And a lot of the things that were issues for me, I didn't even really realize it because I was in a generation when I wasn't diagnosed. I wasn't labeled. Right. I was, I was, Well, you know, in, our, in our generation, that wasn't really a thing. You, right. you may be a little bit different, but there wasn't a diagnosis for it. And if it was, it wasn't very common. Right. And I was taught skills to adjust. But in the process of growing up and trying to merge into society, I also encountered a lot of hurtful things by people probably not intending to hurt me that made me feel inadequate because I was different. And so back to the bell curve. Um, bell curve has 80 to 85 percent in the big fat thick part that is the majority of the uh, graph and then it has um, seven to ten percent on either end right and they used to use a lot of different terminology for divergent people and autism used to be like the rain man you know um, yeah. uh, idiot savants and stuff and I, yeah. I'm grateful that society has continued to study and identify and, and show that there are actual brain activities and chemical things that produce these differences that can be um, modified with medication and with uh, therapies and training. But I, I'm, like I said, I'm in my 60s and I have learned to be more comfortable with who I am after having gone through some deliverance and some healing. I didn't get healed from being who I am. And that's, I guess, what right. I was looking for so that I yep. can address that with a, I don't know, a little more confidence when other people come and are looking to me for help or acceptance. And it's like, I think that it's both. You can get some healing, you can get some deliverance, and then you can learn some self-acceptance and be who God created you to be. So that's yeah. sort of my platform. Don't, don't you think that healing and deliverance helps you be a better version of who God intended you to be? I mean, isn't that the bottom line? Yes. Absolutely. And some of the stuff yeah. that is who I am was dysfunctional because of woundedness and because yep. of a lack of understanding, a lack of knowledge. But over the course of my life, God has in his faithfulness to be who he is, continues to lead me into truth. And for me, my truth is that we are, he created us very different. He likes the full yep. spectrum. He sees yep. and hears things on frequencies we can't. You know, and, and he, he's embracing all of that. And I think that he wants us different, but he wants us whole and comfortable with each other, accepting of each other and of ourselves so that we can do that thing that he said, love our neighbor as ourselves. A, a rose is beautiful on its own, but it's different from a sunflower, which is yes. 
beautiful in its own right. And God loves diversity. And I don't think he wants us all to be the same. Well, I, I agree. And I thank you for your commentary. And I thank you for the work, like I said, for the kingdom. Um, because it's helping. I've, I've been able to use your um, emotional healing prayer to help other people with it. And it's been helpful to me. Uh, because I was struggling with some stuff and because I've been through so much deliverance, it's like, Lord, you know, what is this? And then I encountered your prayer and I did it. And it was, oh, it was simple. And, and I, I love the concept too, <laughs> yeah. that like, okay, I had a cold once I got over it. So I've been healed. No, you might get another cold and you might need to do something about it. Um, yep. but I'm able to, with a simple format, address people who come to me and have something simple and, con you know, concise to present to them. But I also believe that life is, like you say, uh, there's not a, you can learn formulas and you can learn processes, but, but the, for me, the objective is to walk with God is to say, okay, what do I need to do here? And yep. there, that, okay, uh, you need to do a deliverance prayer. You need to, um, I don't remember what all you listed earlier in the program, but, um, declarations and different approaches and there but the t primary objective for me is to seek the lord and say what what are we doing today what, what how does this work today so yep. um that's it thank you so much god bless you thank you deborah appreciate the conversation all right uh marley marley tiff Marley of the Poison Dart Frog Clan, if you can unmute yourself. Uh, do you have a question? Oh, hang on. Marley, if you can unmute yourself. I'm unmuted. Thank you. You are. This dovetails on the same topic. Um, uh, I have a son with, um, who's really struggled with TB, uh, TBI and PTSD okay. and from three tours of duty and, and, um, you know, it's a degenerative. So he's begun having seizures. He's almost, uh, he's in his late thirties okay. and he's, he's married to a lovely woman, a recovered addict and, and, um, just, just suffers from, OCD, which, you know, there's no medication for, um, it's, you, you really have to learn cognitive behavioral therapy. It's such a challenge. And I find that, you know, he's so frustrated, called me in tears and just said, I'm in a constant state of crisis. Both of them, their anxieties are constantly at an eight. Um, we've talked about the emotional healing and, and the things that, um, you know, there's just, we're not getting anywhere. And I feel like it's oh, like, hang on, is my hang method on, wrong? Hang on. Hang on. You yeah. said we've talked about emotional healing. Has he gone through the emotional healing process? He has not. And he, and he rejects it as a, <clears throat> you know, from a point of stoicism um, that he's, you know, he's really cursed with this cross to bear. Um I, I, um, and he, he's, he's like, well, you know, I pray and he says, I don't think that I have to utter certain words for something to happen. So, so there is, there's rejection in the method, I, I have to say. So I'm, okay. I'm just a mom 
praying for my kids, <laughs> you know. Okay. Uh, what's your question? How, how to? Effectively, uh, I I don't know right. that I can do this by proxy. I have to have willing. No, you can't. He right? has to be willing. And so, what I would recommend is that you pray every day that God was would change His heart and make Him open to the emotional healing process. Okay. Um, okay. Because until He is open to the process, nothing's going to change. He has to willingly engage the healing process. And all we can do is pray that God will change his heart. And I have a number of people in my life, relatives, I pray every single day that God will change their heart and make them open to what he wants to do for them. But they have to take the first step and engage the process. Okay. All right. Thank you. Yep. All right, Jay Oz. Jay Oz, if you can unmute yourself, do you have a question? Jay Oz, are you able to unmute yourself? Oh, sorry, found it. No worries. Hi, Gabe. Thanks for doing this. Um, I have a question about your thoughts on church. Um, I would like to know what church is. I have gone to several different churches in my local area and have gone to a home-based one and pretty much leave disappointed that people are not acting nicely as Christians, things like that. Can you tell us what your thoughts are on church, going to church every Sunday, that kind of thing? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Let me open my can of worms here. Uh, all right. Yeah, I'll give you my thoughts on church. In the Greek New Testament, the word that is the English word that church is translated in the Greek New Testament is the word ecclesia or ecclesia, however you want to say it. That word is only found twice in the New Testament. Uh, well, I should say it's only found twice in the Gospels. It's found a lot in the book of Revelation. Uh, but in the Gospels, Jesus mentioning that word, it's only found twice. Jesus, um, well, let me back up a minute. So what has happened over the last 2,000 years? It, it has been a shift from a focus on God's kingdom to a focus on the church as an institution. Jesus in the Gospels spoke about God's kingdom over and over and over and over. All the parables, kingdom parables, are about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is likened to a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is likened to a man who had a vineyard. Right? Jesus taught extensively on God's kingdom. He did not teach about the church other than to say a few things like... Uh, 
upon this rock I will build my church, my ecclesia, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Most people didn't even really have an idea what the ecclesia, what the church was at that time. Uh, historically, in, in Roman culture, ecclesia or ecclesia was a group of people who uh, were sort of had positions of authority within the community. But Jesus took, um, used that in, in a different context. Point being that uh, today in modern culture, people identify church not as a group of people, but as a building, as an institution, uh, as a nonprofit, uh, 501c3. Uh, that's <laughs> wait, the culture has sort of drifted away from a focus on God's kingdom to a focus on the building, the institution, the church. And I think that's unfortunate because um, because God really is about advancing his kingdom. And he does it through us, right? But Jesus didn't tell us to go to church. He told us we are the church. We are the ecclesia. The, the body of Christ is the church. We are members of his body, and that body, he calls it the ecclesia. Um, so a, a lot of people have this mindset because they've just been trained through their entire life that we have to go to church. You have to go to church on Sunday or Saturday if you, you know, have a different belief in that. I'm not going to go into it. But the, the predominant teaching is that we need to go to church. We need to attend the church. But my belief is we are the church. We are the ecclesia. The church is us. It's not a building. It's not an institution. It's not a 501c3. We are the church. We are about advancing God's kingdom. And that's what I do <laughs> through, through my live streams, through my testimonies that I post on social media, the teaching that I put out on videos and articles and the books. I'm teaching about God's kingdom. It's a reason why the seven books in the series, The Kingdom of God Made Simple, right? The kingdom of God made simple. I'm trying to teach people about God's kingdom. How we as the church, as the ecclesia, the believers, the body of Christ, how we can advance and demonstrate to the world the realities of God's supernatural kingdom. So I'm all about the kingdom. I am about teaching, demonstrating, and helping people understand God's invisible supernatural kingdom. Uh, I don't go, I don't attend a church on, on Sundays. Uh, God yanked me out of the church, gosh, back in 2009. He kept on telling me over and over and over and over again, I want you out of that building. I want you out there in the community, on the streets, meeting with people, on social media, teaching them about my kingdom. You're, you are, have no future in that building. Stop going back to it. And it took me a long time. It took me about a year of him continually tugging on my heart to get me to understand that he he was going to use me powerfully outside of that building. And a lot of people are going to find this offensive and that's okay. Um, I'm not, I'm not saying that we should not meet together, that we should 
uh, ignore the assembling together of the brethren, because I hear that all the time. Whenever I tell people I don't go to church every Sunday, they say, well, you're forsaking the assembly of the brethren. And Paul said we should not forsake the assembly of the brethren. No, I'm not. <laughs> How many people are on this live stream? How many people do I interact with every single day on social media? That is the assembly of the brethren can be anything. My wife and I happen to pastor an online church. Uh, it's That is the model that God has given us. We do we do teaching, we do discipleship, we do prayer and healing. We do all of most of the things that happen in a church on Sunday, we do online. And there's no reason why people can't meet together online. I mean in our in our in our chat, uh in the praying medic chat and telegram, you can post a prayer request in there or a question or ask something about the Bible or whatever issue is on your mind, you can ask a question in that chat anytime, 24 seven. And one of our administrators is gonna be in there and will help you, give you some resources, send you a link, have a discussion, give you some Bible verses, tell you that they're praying for you. It's a 24 seven electronic church. And I'm not here you know, trying to uh, toot my own horn, other than to, uh, what I'm trying to do is say that there are other forms of assembling together with the brethren. It doesn't have to be in a brick and mortar building on every Sunday. For some people that works great. For other people, it doesn't work. They don't find it uh, to be a comfortable setting. And uh, there are millions and millions of people who are Christians who have been traumatized in the brick building Sunday church. My ministry for the last 10 years, 85% of the people, the Christians who follow me on social media, have are basically church dropouts. They have been marginalized. They have been demonized. They have been brutalized, abandoned, manipulated, and otherwise traumatized in the church. They have walked away from the church. They have not walked away from God. They have fed up, they've just gotten fed up with the abuse and the treatment they received in the church and they're out, they're done. They're not gonna go to another church again. Like I said, 85% of the people that follow me on social media are church dropouts. They're pursuing God, they love God, they're believers, but they just can't do the, the, the Sunday church thing. It just doesn't work for them. So we provide a setting here on social media where people can be fed, they can be trained and equipped, they can have their questions answered, their dreams interpreted, they can receive healing prayer, and that's that's what our ministry is all about. Uh, so again, a long answer to a short question, but that's my answer. All right, uh, let's see. Freedom 797, Freedom 797, you have your hand up. If you can unmute yourself, what is on your mind? Freedom 797. Can you hit the, the unmute button? Oh, Come on, Freedom. Oh, so there it is. Thank you. <laughs> you got it. Hi, Dave. 
I just wanted to say two, two things. First of all, I really appreciate your book that you wrote, uh, The Gates of Shiloh. It, it helped me to recognize that I had some ulcers that I couldn't figure out what was going on between me and my husband. He would say something, and all of a sudden, I felt like a completely different person, and I'd be not yelling and screaming, but I was very upset, and I felt like I was a completely different person when I was talking to him. So this book really opened my eyes and helped me to understand and um and so now when he uh talks to me about some of these trigger points that i'm triggered by i'm so grateful to you and to god because i feel like i'm healed of, uh, that's interesting of that's, so you actually recognized when one of your altars was taking over yes. and you you behave differently that's interesting because most people don't recognize it that easily but it's interesting that you do yeah, because uh, normally I'm I'm a very very calm uh, uh, person, and I'm I'm not that um, what's the word I, um, I I don't talk all that much, right? I'm I'm kind of um, anyway I, I don't get quiet exactly, and so I usually don't get upset about very many. So, things. so what is this uh, this other person? What are the altar? What are they like? Uh doesn't want to be confronted about anything. They don't want anybody telling um, telling them that they're correct and that I am not. Okay. So you've identified the altar. Have you gone down the pro into the process of healing this altar? And yes. Okay. So did you notice a, a change in the way you behave now? Big time, big time. When I'm talking with my husband in the car and it's just him and me and he presses one of my trigger buttons, I don't get real upset anymore. You don't just, get triggered. I, exactly. I can talk to him like my normal self, like my entire self, instead of this altered personality. I'm just so grateful. I think and he's obviously he's, he's recognized it too, I'm guessing. Yes, he has. Yes. The other That's question awesome. I have for you... Um, is I was wondering if you could speak just a little bit about spiritual demonic devices that you mentioned can be attached to some people. Yes, I will. Uh, all right, let me talk about that for a second. So thank you, by the way. <laughs> Gates of Shiloh is my favorite book. Of all the books I've written, I love The Gates of Shiloh. That was a long, long project writing that book. Labor of love, but I really love the way that the story came out. And people who have read it have really benefited from it. Um, it's not it's not that scary. Um, if, if you've thought about looking into the, you know, picking up that book, I would suggest picking it up. Uh, it, it's a little bit of a thriller, but uh, you can get through it. And you'll learn some things about yourself and some things about God that you did not know. So to your question. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to remember what your question was. Your question was about, uh, hmm. all right. You know what? If you're still there, remind me again what your question was. Freedom 797, are you still there? If you can unmute yourself. Oh, 
yes, my question oh. had to do with spiritual demonic devices. Oh, demonic devices. Person, yes, yes. Yep, yep. All right, I'll, I'll uh, talk a little bit about that. Demonic devices. All right. Oh, gosh. This is such an interesting subject. So people are going to say, where is that in the Bible? <laughs> what are you talking about demonic devices? Well, I, I, I've never actually looked in the Bible for demonic devices, but I can tell you from experience, when I have prayed for people and when my friends have prayed for people, uh, some of my friends are very, very good at seeing in spirit. Matt Evans is actually um, a, a really good example. Matt is the guy who has done my emotional healing. Uh, we went through two sessions of emotional healing and Matt is very, uh, he has a very acute sense of, you know, being able to see in the spirit. Uh, I don't know if it's quite on the Blake Healy level, but he's pretty close. So Matt um, has told me uh, a number of testimonies of his where he'll be, he and I used to do um, street healing in Olympia when I lived there back in 2008 and 2009. He was the first person ever took me out doing street healing. We'd go down on the streets of Olympia downtown and uh, we would just find strangers that we, you know, ask them if we could pray for them. And many times Matt would see uh, some kind of device on this person in the spirit. Blake Healy talks about this in his book, The Veil. If you want a really good book on the subject, check out Blake Healy's book, The Veil. Blake was, um, <laughs> Blake has been able to see in the spirit very, very accurately since he was a child. And when he was a child, he saw demons all the time. As he got older, he fortunately came under some instruction where the pastors were able to help him understand that his ability to see in the spirit was uh, a powerful tool he could use for healing and deliverance. So when Blake looks into the spiritual world, he will see people who have um, metal bands around their chest. They have a breathing problem and they can't breathe and they're huffing and puffing all the time. And he will see a metal steel band tied around their chest. He might walk over and do a prophetic act and cut the metal band off of their chest and then they're able to breathe. Uh, Matt has seen metal bands around people's heads. They've had people complain of like a migraine headache, this headache all the time. Matt will look at them and go, well, you've got a metal band around your head. It's a demonic device. He'll walk up to them and do a prophetic act and clip the metal band off of their head and their headache goes away. Uh, when I pray for people who have tinnitus, I often see a metal, kind of a metal cage around a person's head. And sometimes I'll make a prophetic act and I'll remove that cage that I see in the spirit and their tinnitus is healed. So when we talk about demonic devices, that's the kind of things that we're talking about. We're talking about looking into the spiritual world and seeing things that demons have put on people that you can remove uh, through a prophetic act that will assist in healing them. All right, there you go. Uh, let's see. Mark W. Mark W., you have your hand up. Uh, do you have a question? You can unmute yourself. Yes, uh, I do. 
Uh, first, uh, I really appreciate your ministry. It's uh, been a blessing to me, everything that you've been doing with it. Um, so my question subject is uh, healing, effective healing prayer. And uh, I, I've seen some effective prayer, you know, just like you reap what you sow and pray for others. But um, where I, I struggle is a little bit more with the, the commanding or directing part of prayer. Um, I, mm. I just tend to do more kind of worshiping and, and, and talking about God's promises and then asking for things and say, Jesus, do this or Jesus, do that. Is that what did you do to make the commanding part of it, you know, feel more natural? Um, I renewed my thinking. <laughs> so here's here's what happened to me. When God told me back in 2008, he wanted me to start praying for my patients. Uh, I did what I was taught, which is ask God to heal people. And I did that. For month after month after month, I prayed for hundreds of people. Lord, if it's your will, heal this person. Jesus, I ask you to heal this person, right? I was asking God to do the healing, and nobody ever got healed. And let's see. Um, I got on YouTube, and I started watching some Todd White videos. And Todd White was going out on the streets doing street healing. And he, when he found somebody who had like a sprained wrist or a sprained ankle, he would command the ligaments, nerves, muscles, tendons, and bones to be healed. And then he'd have the person test it out. And they would be like, what in the world did you just do? Like, it's healed. Like, there's no pain. Like, how could that be? Right? Todd was seeing people healed instantly. Lots of them. Headaches, neck pain, back pain, injuries. The things that you could demonstrate a change, like when a person has a frozen shoulder and they have limited range of motion, they can only raise their arm up that high and they have nine out of 10 pain when they try to raise it higher. You, you command ligaments, nerves, tendons, muscles, bones, cartilage to be healed, restored, made new. And then a minute later, they're like, wait a minute, what don't you just do? Like it's completely normal. I had to watch somebody else do it. So I watched Todd White. Pete Cabrera uh, became a friend of mine. Pete was doing street healing too. He demonstrated the command to, you know, ligaments and nerves be healed, demons get out. Once I saw those guys doing this and I saw their the results, I was like, okay, I just have to start doing this. Um, so I changed my way of thinking. Um, I, I had to just change my way of thinking and realize that, you know, it, it says, Luke chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus called the 12 disciples to him. And he gave them power and authority over all demons and over diseases. If we have authority, we can exercise it. And authority means commanding parts of the body to be healed, commanding evil spirits to leave. I know it's it, it can be a little bit of, uh, tough wrapping your mind around that. But I, I can tell you, if you start doing it, you will start to see... Uh, miracles. Does that answer your question? Uh, it, it's kind of what I already know. And I, I think I just need to hear it over and over again. And I, I yeah. don't know why, um, you know, I see it. I've seen some of those videos, why I just won't do it. I think part of it is just <laughs> in church that I go to it. It's, it doesn't talk about God being That's alive not what they and, teach. and powerful. Yeah. Yep. And, and I think it's hard for me to just keep 
keep the mindset of this is what the Bible says. Just go do it. Yeah, well, if, and go go through the scriptures, go through the New Testament, and go through the Gospels, go through the Book of Acts, and take note of every time someone is healed, and you'll notice that not once in any of those cases <clears throat> are the disciples or Jesus asking the Father to heal a person. It's always a release of power, or a command for a demon to be gone, or something of that nature. Um, it's always it's always tied to power and authority. Um, so I guess that's all I can do to encourage you. No, that's good. I like that. Go to the scripture because uh, that's yep. the truth. Thank you. Yep. It worked for me. Yep. You bet. All right. Mike. Mike, if you are unable to mute your mic, Mike, uh, <laughs> do you have a question? Is this Mike? Hey, Dave. How you doing? Doing good. Good. Um, I wanted to get your thought on self-defense in a worst-case scenario, meaning, you know, you kind of picture bad things happening, and I'm next to a bad neighborhood where I am, even though I'm in a good spot, and people would come from those neighborhoods probably looking for supplies or whatnot in a really bad spot, and... I wanted to get your uh, thoughts on what to do in those spots and if you would, you know, pull the trigger if you had to. So can I ask you a, a question? Yeah. Are you looking for a biblical or a spiritual perspective on self-defense or just? Yeah. Uh, no, that okay. would, I, I think spiritual would be good. Okay. I can address that. All right, so um, I thought for a long time, um, I considered writing a book on uh, the Christian teaching of passive uh, passivity and the, um, and, and the issue of self-defense because I have a lot of friends. Some of them are very good friends, and, and they're good people. Uh, who are absolutely convinced from the scriptures that Jesus has asked us to be live a completely passive lifestyle where we are nonviolent. We would never harm another person. We would certainly not uh, kill another person for any reason, period. That's the end of the statement. And some people would go as far as to say, if you look in the Gospels where Jesus is betrayed and in that, whether you look in Luke or um, Matthew, two different accounts, um, where, where Judas comes and he betrays Jesus with a kiss, as he's going to be turned over to the high priests and they're going to take him away and crucify him. As that is happening, uh, some people will say that, when they came to seize Jesus, Peter took out his sword and lopped off the ear of Malchus, the high priest's servant. And Jesus said, Peter, put away your sword. Do you not know that those who live by the sword will die by the sword? And people will take that as a proof text and say that Jesus even forbids us from carrying weapons for self-defense. So here's a little deep dive into that discussion. 
Um, and you have to get kind of the big picture, 40,000 foot view. Jesus gave his commission to the disciples uh, three different times. So the first commission to his disciples is found in Matthew chapter 10, the parallel passages in Luke 9, where Jesus called the 12 disciples to himself and he gave them power and authority for healing. And he sent them out and he said, do not take silver, don't take any extra clothing, don't take a sword, don't take any weapons. Go to the houses, whoever puts you up, uh, teach, heal the sick that are there, teach them about the kingdom. All right, for, uh, and, and that was his first commission to the 12 disciples. The 12 disciples went out to the cities and they stayed in various homes. They healed the sick, they taught people about the kingdom. They came back and they reported to Jesus, Lord, we saw miracles, even the demons uh, obeyed us or subject to us in your name, right? That was the first commission. Then he sent out the 70, that was the second commission. And he gave them the same instructions, go out and heal the sick. Don't take any silver, don't take cloaks, tunics, don't take swords, just stay in the houses wherever people put you up, heal the sick, teach about the kingdom. The 70 went out and they came back and they reported. Now, <clears throat> before he was betrayed by Judas, he commissioned them a third time. And he told them, this time I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. This time he who does not have a sword, let him sell his cloak and buy one. He commissioned his disciples to buy swords and arm themselves because he was going to be crucified and they were going to go out without him to be their, their protector anymore. So, and he, he said, look, the previous two times when I sent you out without a sword, without extra clothing, without money, uh, without purses, did you lack anything? And they said, no. And he said, correct. This time I tell you, I send you out one more time. And this time take money with you. If you don't have a sword, sell your coat and buy one. Jesus commissioned his disciples to buy swords and to carry them with him. Now, when they came to seize him, at, when he was being betrayed by Judas, one of the disciples saw what was happening and said, hey, Lord, should we fight with them? We brought the swords, okay? The disciple understood that Jesus had commissioned them to carry weapons of self-defense and to defend themselves in certain circumstances and that's when jesus said no this is not the time for i must be crucified that the scriptures would be fulfilled so jesus did not prohibit the disciples from carrying weapons of self-defense his pro his he was trying to teach them look i have to be crucified because that is going to fulfill the scriptures i'm going to be the sacrificial lamb my death will be the propitiation for sin people will be able to be forgiven for sins after my death. And then you guys go out and preach the good news after I'm resurrected. So <clears throat> there, there actually is no prohibition in the New Testament uh, with, with respect to carrying weapons for self-defense. Uh, and because of that, I believe that 
uh, it is scriptural for believers to carry weapons for self-defense and use them if necessary. Uh, I live in the state of Arizona, and we, uh, the state of Arizona observes the Castle Doctrine. The Castle Doctrine is a legal, um, it's a legal principle that allows a homeowner to use lethal force <clears throat> if they are in their house and if they believe their life is an immediate uh, danger. If they believe that they could be killed by a, 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 an intruder who comes into their home, they can use lethal force. They can shoot that person. And their, their legal defense is the castle doctrine. Some states do not observe the castle doctrine. They actually, uh, the, the legal standard there is you have a duty to retreat. So if someone breaks into your house and is coming to rob you and kill you, before you can use lethal force against them, you have to retreat and warn the person before you can use lethal force. What I would say with respect to, to home defense is know your local statutes, know the laws, know whether or not your state and your local jurisdiction has a castle doctrine or the duty to retreat. And, uh, and, and look, this is this is a very difficult situation to talk about. It's a very emotional situation. I've been thinking a lot about it because I can see, look, I live in Arizona and there are millions of illegal immigrants pouring through the southern border. And things are starting to get a little bit crazy around here. I do not want to have to shoot somebody. That's the last thing. Look, I've already, I've seen so many dead people in my life. Um, I don't know if there's time for me to get healed of all the trauma. The thought of me having shooting somebody, you know, who's a home invader, um, is is very very disturbing thought to me. It's not it's not something that I um, it's not something I really want to think about. But the fact is, uh, we live in a world where every day goes by. I think we're more and more um, likely to have an encounter with someone who intends to rob us and potentially kill us. As all of these illegal immigrants are coming into this country from all over the world, uh, the world is becoming a dangerous place. Our country is becoming less secure, less safe. And people need to start thinking, what am I going to do if one of these people or three of these people break into my house and come here to rob me, what do I do? Do I let them kill me? Do I let them rape my wife? Do I let them destroy everything that I've got? Or do I, you know, pull a trigger and do I defend myself? That is a decision each person has to make for themselves. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I'm not going to make the decision for you. You have to decide for yourself what you are going to do. And I would ask you to pray about that. Talk to the Lord. Get the Holy Spirit to give you instruction on how to do that. Uh, I, I would just, you know, advise that um, there is a biblical basis, I think, for the use of self-defense. And um, each person has to decide what they're going to do and how they're going to uh, approach that situation, deal with it. I think it's, it's unfortunate, the situation we're in. Uh, and it's unfortunate that a lot of people who have never done anything 
um, to deserve it are going to end up getting um, robbed uh, and they're going to have to be put in a very difficult situation where they may have to use lethal force. Um, so if you're if you're interested in the book on emergency preparedness and off-grid communication, there's an entire chapter in that book on the use of lethal force, self-defense, home. There's a chapter on home security. Um, all of those issues I, I, I talk about here. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> I think, with a fairly calm, reasonable, kind of a rational objective, what you, you know, things to consider, things that you can do, things you should not do. Uh, to, to make your life, your property safer. All right, I guess I'm gonna land it there. Uh, Helly Rabbit. Uh, Helly Rabbit, if you can, let's see. Helly Rabbit, if you can unmute yourself, do you have a question? Yes. Um, so my wife wants to know, uh, when is your next Kingdom of God Made Simple book coming out and what is it? I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of at the, uh, I'm, I'm at a dry spot right now with, with that subject. Um, I There are seven books in the series so far. I haven't really come up with a good concept for a next book in that series. Do you have a suggestion? Does your wife have a suggestion? No, she doesn't have a suggestion. She's shy when it comes to <laughs> speaking. All right. <laughs> if you are listening to this broadcast, whether it's on the live stream or on replay, and you have a suggestion for the next book in the Kingdom of God series, let me know what your suggestion is. I'm open to suggestions. I wrote the book on emergency preparedness because a friend of mine had a dream where he was reading a book I wrote on emergency preparedness, a book I had not written and had not even thought about writing. And I cranked out the manuscript in two weeks after he told me about this dream. So I will write books uh, on request uh, if it's a good subject that I know something about. So uh, so to your answer your question, I, I really don't know. Uh, thank you for, for asking. All right, that's all the time I really have uh, for questions. Uh, thank you for joining me on the live stream. Please keep me and Denise in prayer. We really do covet your prayers. Uh, if you want to support us financially, we do receive donations through our Give, Send, Go page. Uh, the website address is give, send, go forward slash PM. Uh, donations are tax deductible. All of my books are available on Amazon and through Barnes & Noble's website. Uh, that is all I have for this message. Uh, thank you all for joining me. Love you all. Take care. I will catch you on the next broadcast.